Okay, so yes, we are continuing our discussion this morning on understanding our nobility, our nobility that we have now, the special honor, if you recall, the special honor that we have now as a new creation, how God views us and how we should view ourselves in light of this. We're talking about our nobility as God's people, not nobility because we declare it or anything that we can do to, to earn that, but because of what God has done for us, the nobility that we gain because of that. And last week we went over some of what it means to be adopted into God's household. Hey, Jeremiah, can you bring my trusty Stein back up here, maybe? I just, I might need it. Well, a Stein is a Stein, I don't know. <laughs> just some water. It doesn't have to be crazy like that. I was just joking, but um, yeah, last week we went over some of what that means to be adopted into God's household, um, to be heirs alongside Christ, to rule with Christ. And we read lots of scripture, and I hope that that was good for you. It was good for me to um, be in that, to be reminded of that. Um, so this is what we're talking about, the special honor of what we will inherit alongside Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. The glory that is to come, that's a promise to us. The promises we have from God. Um, and then we ended on just the, the note, the humbling note, that it's not before um, bearing the reproach of Christ, bearing in his sufferings just as he suffered. So, it's a year of agency and understanding our nobility, our identity, sorry, and our calling as disciples of Christ and what that should look like in each of our lives. Um, and my month, you'll probably come to realize, has to do with the hope, the hope and expectation of what is to come, the promises and blessings, the truths, as I said, from God that we stand to receive if we are faithfully committed to what it means to be and live um, as his people. There it is. I recognize that thing. Yeah, thanks. I'll bring a water bottle one of these times. It can be a little distracting, but um, I said last week that it's, it's a glorious truth, that it's en encouraging, and it's sometimes um, we would do well to remember the point of it all, right? The point of why we live the way we live. Um, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-day, -day and, and perhaps we don't think as often as we should about what is to come for us as believers, what is promised to us, the expectation, what is the motivation to keep going. Um, sometimes we don't talk about that enough, and sometimes we need to be encouraged by what the scripture says as far as what God has promised us, the special honor we are to receive because of the work of Christ. Um, it's something that I don't think about enough, just personally speaking. So this has been a good... Um, encouragement to me, you know, like as a man, you, you just, you kind of just go about your life and do what needs to be done kind of thing, and you know, you don't often look too far ahead. Um, it's one of the strengths and weaknesses of men, right? You don't often look too far ahead, you just deal with what's in front of you, but the scripture says that we get to look ahead to something that is to come, and it's a special honor that we receive, and that's what we're talking about this week, or this month, sorry, and just um, being encouraged by that. I'm, some, I'm giving you some of the end goal, you know, to keep your eye on the prize um, type of thing. 
where we're going, where we're headed, how we get there, this kind of thing. Um, yeah, and then next month, Colin, I believe it's Colin, is going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit enables us in this journey, enables us toward this end goal, and what the Holy Spirit um, gives us as our encouragement, as our encourager, our ultimate encourager. So you can look forward to that. So that's just sort of a recap in terms of where we are, what you can expect to keep hearing over today and next week. It's just what, what it's all for, the hope, the encouragement, the point of it all, what's promised to us, the special honor that we receive when we come to Christ and declare ourselves as his. Um, so with that said, we're going to be talking about today eternal life. Eternal life and what that means. So the first thing most people think about in regards to eternal life is that it's just it's something that lasts forever. That may seem obvious to us. Um, and that's indeed a part of what it means. The Greek word ion, 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 ion means to the ages. Um, translated, it's an unlimited duration of time. In other words, forever. Um, this is what it means to have eternal life. It's life that lasts forever. Again, duh, Adam. I know that. I get that. That's obvious. I understand language. But when Jesus speaks about having eternal life, he doesn't mean uh, just simply living forever, like on some sort of surface level meaning or just in a purely physical way. If you think about it, uh, merely living forever um, physically might not be that great of a thing. We celebrated um, someone who's very close to us, but someone who's very old yesterday, and we kept joking about it. He just reached the big 5-0, and if you ask him, living in that body forever might not sound like that great of a thing. You know, he talks about his creaky joints, and we, you know, we gave him all his prescriptions yesterday, all the different medications that he can expect to be taking. That was not actual medication, by the way, I think. It looked like Skittles and the like. But it doesn't just mean living forever in some sort of purely physical way. And you can ask James about that. Um, or it doesn't maybe appeal to the person who's going through suffering. And some, for some people, that meant suffering for a lifetime. You think about slaves. You think about um, Jews during the Holocaust. You tell them you can have eternal life, and they might ask this? Th is this what we're talking about? But that's not what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about. So there has to be something more um, simply extending life, quote-unquote, um, which is so miserable and bitter for some people, would not be that appealing. Something like that would not be appealing to them. So there has to be something more to eternal life, to the blessing of eternal life, to the promise of eternal life, than just an unlimited duration of time, which is what the, the verbiage used is, an unlimited duration of time. And scripture reveals to us that there is something more, and it's always best to just look there for what that means then. So, um, we're going to go to John 17. It's a, it's a passage I read, yes, not yesterday, last Sunday. John chapter 17, specifically in verse 3. But in John chapter 17, it's the, it's, you know, it's Christ's great prayer as our high priest before the Father. Jesus prayed just before he went out to die on the cross, and he was praying to his Father, and as he begins his prayer, he says, this, again, John chapter 17, verse 3. 
Father, the hour has come, he says. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. And he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And I've got this in bold letters here. And this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So the last sentence there, or the second sentence, verse 3, holds the key for us. This is eternal life that we may know him. So this is another layer to what it means to have eternal life. It's not simply a duration of time, but it is literally in knowing the living God. To have eternal life is to know the living God. It's part of what it means to live forever, be in his presence forever. We read lots of the scripture last Sunday about what that means, like we read um, in Revelation chapter 21, I believe it was, what that's going to look like for us when we reign with him and sit next to him and we inherit with him. Um, It's an intimate relationship. So knowing God is to have eternal life, just simply knowing him. Jesus tells us that eternal life isn't simply quantitative, having to do with time, but it's experienced in knowing God. It's not only a quantity of time, though it is a quantity of time, but a quality of time. That you are with God, the scripture says, amazed by him, intimate relationship with him, exploring his glory, delighting in his presence. Joe, are you the one that I heard likes Augustine a whole lot and you read a lot of Augustine things? Well, I found this from Augustine. Augustine wrote, Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. That is what makes eternal life. It's being with God, an intimate relationship and knowledge with him. And the reason that being in God's presence is such a blessing is that we were made to be that way. We're made to to be blessed by being with him. That's how it was set up from the beginning. C.S. Lewis used this analogy. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, gasoline. And it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself, meaning God. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. That's in the book Mere Christianity. I know some of you have read that. I recommend it. We are made to know God, and there's real pleasure and joy that comes from being in his presence. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, in your presence is the fullness of joy, it says. The fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever, eternally. And Psalm 17, verse 15 says, I shall be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. In other words, knowing God showers us with pleasure and blessings and joys that satisfy us forever, eternally. The simple act, if you can call it an act as if it's a moment, but the act of knowing him, of getting to know him. Have you guys heard of 
heliotropic plants other than Kelsey, maybe? Plant lady? No one? Heliotropic? Okay. But don't know what it means. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just tell you. Save, save some time. We have a showing at 2 o'clock, so I can't be up here for that. Um, there are plants that turn their, their face, essentially, they turn their face to follow the sun in the sky. That's what they do. That's how they get their nourishment. And they physically move as the sun moves. That's what a heliotropic plant is. There's some flowers like this. There's other plants like this as well. This is what our heart needs. It needs that kind of way of being. Turning toward God, opening up to him, relying on him, being nourished by him. That's what God made us for. To be blessed, excuse me, by the glory of his presence. That's what eternal life is, forever and ever in that way. Just like flowers that feed uh, and nourish and grow off the sun. God's people will be before him flourishing in his presence. That's what makes eternal life so great. It's not merely living forever, quantitative, again. Eternal life is knowing God and being blessed with the amazing pleasures and joys in his presence forever, where our knowing becomes more full and complete and intimate, the qualitative nature of our knowing him. And we don't have to wait until we die. Sometimes people might think that, you know, it's, a, it's something that's triggered after death. Eternal life starts um, after death. That's what, you know, kickstarts it, boom, and then eternal life begins. But I think that's a misconception, that we have to wait till we die to begin understanding and living as if we have this special honor of eternal life. I don't think that's true. Our participation in eternal life, this gift that God gives us, it begins now. It begins the moment we accept Christ, the moment we accept that relationship, the moment we begin to get to know him and who he has called us and created us to be. The moment we begin to know him and the moment we accept him is when it starts. It doesn't start after death. You know, we don't have to look forward to eternal life only after this moment of time, which is our death, which is inevitable, one for one. But we have it already. John chapter 5 and verse 24, I'm going to be all over John today. <clears throat> we have it already. And in John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Not that we will have it at a certain point, but that we have it now. It's ours. It's ours to um, celebrate. We have it now. Eternal life is not something that we wait for once we die. It's something that we have now once we've committed ourselves to Christ. We find similar verbiage, similar present tense verbiage um, elsewhere in his book there in John chapter 6, verse 47. The focus of eternal life is not on our future, but on our current standing 
in Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, he who has the Son has the life. He has it now. It starts the moment that you accept Christ in a genuine way. This the moment you start moving forward in your relationship and understanding of him. When God's spirit comes to us and convicts us and speaks to our hearts and the moment we begin fellowship with him and worship of him now. And it, may, it becomes more complete and intimate in his presence like we read last week in Revelations chapter 21. It starts now. If it hasn't started now, if you haven't started to understand that, then maybe there's some problems. If you don't know the pleasure of worshiping now and being in relationship with him now and being in relationship with his body, the church, now, then you might have a rude awakening in terms of your understanding of what's to come eternally. There's actually people who want nothing to do with God, with Christ. They don't want to hear it. But they do like the idea of some sort of heaven, whatever that means to them. They like the idea that after they die, there's something waiting for them. Nothing to do with God, nothing to do with Christ, nothing to do with what we stand to inherit because of Christ, nothing to do with what we um, are given as a special honor because of who God is, because of how he loves us. But they do, they, do, they do like the idea that there's something for them. But I would just hearken back to like the stuff we were reading last week. And I've heard it said that if you don't love worship now, if you don't love a relationship with God now, if you don't love fellowship with each other now, with the church now, then you ain't going to like eternal life so much because that's what's waiting for us on a more full and intimate and complete and beautiful in intended way. That type of relationship and communion and worship. Eternal life is about living and knowing and worshiping God in a more perfect, restored creation. That's what we were reading last week. And doing that together. In John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Eternal life continues past death. I said it doesn't start at death. It continues past it. That's what eternal means. It means forever and ever, into eternity. Our eternal life begins the moment we're saved and it extends past death as we go straight into the presence of the Lord. Not even death interrupts what it means to have eternal life. We just go on living with him more beautifully in a more glorious way than before. And eternal life is never lost. A fifth point. Perhaps it should go without saying, but 
eternal life by nature means that it lasts forever. It can't be lost. John chapter 3, verse 16. This is the power verse that we should all know. This is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have temporary life, only until, you know, we, what, we stop believing in that, or we die, or whatever. That's not what it says. It says, God loved us and sent Jesus to give us eternal life. We have that eternal life means we have it forever. Forever, and it can't be lost. It means forever. You don't lose it. It cannot be taken away. You guys know who Dane Cook is? Paul's like, yes. Dane Cook was a, is a comedian, was a comedian. He's still alive. He's actually in, having a resurgence right now. He's a comedian. And when I was like a sophomore in high school, he was really big, but he had this bit in one of his, you know, specials or something, where he was joking about the difference between free and absolutely free. And, uh, you know, I'll probably botch it, but it was something to, and it's funnier when he says it, better delivery. Um, But he says something to the effect of, you know, the difference between free and absolutely free, his, his context is, you know, was watching this infomercial, and it's always geared toward, you know, kitchen utensils and knives and things like this, and call now and get a second set absolutely free, you know, and the difference between free and absolutely free. You go to the store, and a pair of socks is uh, $6, or, and then you go to the, the check stand, and the checker rings you up, and it's fourteen ninety five, and you're like, what? I thought it was free, and the checker's like, but it's not absolutely free, and he's just like joking about this, and it's absurdity. Um, we have it forever. It can never be lost. God is holy. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. And when he says eternal life, you can count on the fact that it is eternal. Absolutely. Absolutely eternal. It cannot be taken away. Jesus says in the 10th chapter of John, I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one will be able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. And Jesus says, to whom he gives eternal life, they will never perish. They will have it forever. They will never, never lose it. What's... Find some other meaning for the word never. Find some other meaning for the word free. It means never. We will never lose it. Forever in eternity is the literal meaning. The Greek is may I own apollomy. Forever in eternity. Eternal life. What God has given is not temporary life, but eternal life. Life. This is what is in store for us. This is what we're, where we're headed. Sorry. Where we're headed. This is the end goal. This is the encouragement to everyone 
everyone who genuinely trusts and commits themselves to the truth of who Christ is, that they will never perish, he says. It can never be lost. So the Bible tells us that eternal life is a forever length of time. It's spent in the presence and fellowship with God. It begins now. It continues past death, and it can never be lost. So how do you get it? And I've inevitably inevitably been alluding to that up to now. But I want to zoom out of that third chapter in John and just highlight the context of what's going on there, which for me encapsulates the beauty in this gift's simplicity. So I'm going to read more completely from John chapter 3 right now if you wanted to turn to that to give us a a better context. John chapter 3, starting at verse 1, I'll go just through verse 21. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious Jewish a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, We tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have this eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him but anyone who does not believe in him already has been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light. For their actions were evil, and all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they are doing, so others can see that they are doing what God wants. You have to understand that Nicodemus, a Pharisee, Jesus' fiercest rivals when he was living on earth is in a state of turmoil when he approaches Jesus. And Nicodemus isn't just a Pharisee. 
Nicodemus, in terms of Pharisees go, is like top dog. He is the most Pharisaical. <laughs> he is the most respected. He is he's top of his class, so to speak. <clears throat> he's as legalistic as they come. And he's wondering, in this moment, when he approaches Jesus, what more legalistic thing or religious thing he can do to take the last final step to get into the kingdom of God and get some peace for his troubled soul. And Jesus, in his most encouraging voice, I'm sure, says to him, nothing. You don't get it. In fact, everything you thought you knew, forget it. You can't do anything. In fact, cancel everything you knew. You need me. You need something from God to be given to you. You can't work for it. You can't do anything for it. It's something that's out of your control. And this shakes Nicodemus's entire perception of his religion, his legalism. This lifelong legalistic Pharisee is having a difficult time letting this into his mind, let alone processing the, the truth of it. But Jesus is saying, anybody who believes, anybody who believes who he says he is, the Son of Man, lifted up, will escape judgment, escape hell. That's the word perish, it's synonymous with that. Be given forgiveness. Everlasting life and heaven is what they will inherit. The special honor they are set to inherit. Salvation is by faith. And that's the message. It's by believing the truths of God. To use the Latin expressions, sola fide, it means faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Christ alone. Scripture alone. In the preceding verses of that that we just read, it said many believed. Nicodemus believed but they didn't believe what they needed to believe. They believed Jesus was a teacher, came from God, did miracles, but that wasn't enough to inherit eternal life. He doesn't believe what he has to believe. Not yet, at least. He would come to, but not at this point. Reformed theologians used jargon like notitia and fiducia and ascensus. Notitia is knowledge. That's what it means. Knowledge. You have to know. Faith comes by hearing the message concerning Christ. Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. You have to know. And then you have to have fiducia. You have to believe is what that word means. To trust in. To believe. And then ascensus. Assent. You have to commit. You have to commit to those truths. Take up your cross. Follow. Be obedient. Invest. 
to hinge your entire life on the truths which you know and believe. This is how you inherit eternal life. And so Nicodemus is given this shocking thing from the mouth of God himself. That salvation is through these things, by faith alone. A faith that commits itself to the Son. Lifted up, crucifies, makes that full commitment. And anybody, whoever he is, when they make that commitment, Scripture says Jew or Gentile, gets this inheritance of eternal life. They're granted this nobility. That's how we get it. Simple. And you can imagine this guy, this zealot, Nicodemus, asking, like, why? How? Why is it that easy? Why would God do this? There's a lot of jargon. Theological, theological jargon and terminology to explain this. But for me, it's simple, and it's found in the text. A simpler outline as to why God offers this special honor is because he loves. He loves the world. He loves his creation. When he created, he said it was good. He didn't forget that. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life because God so loves the world that he gave his son to make it possible. The motive is love. It's us, is the world. The action is that he gave his son. His monogonis is the word. His son, genis, is the word used. It's where we get the, the word genetics, genes. And mono is one. So when you put monogonese together, it means unique. It means one of a kind. The one and only son. God gave his unique, one of a kind son, his beloved son, he says. My beloved son. And he so loved the world. What the text is saying is that to the degree that he loved the world, he gave up his son. God loved the world to the degree that he gave them up. The extent of his love is measured by the extent of his gift. And the most benevolent thing that God could possibly do would be to give the thing that he loved the most, the one he loved the most, the son of his love. And that shows the extent of it. And the result, eternal life. And the ways that which we're talking. Eternal life that we will not perish. That we live in it now, that it lasts forever, that it lasts past death, that it means knowing him because of God's gift. It's easy to think of a holy God as viewing humanity, it would be easy to view him in this way, as viewing that he views humanity in the condition that it's in, which is damaged, sinful, broken. It would be easy if the scripture said, God looked at the world and said, I'll break them and punish them until they know me. 
but that's what separates God apart from everything and everyone. That he didn't do that. It wasn't his anger that sent Christ. Christ didn't come to judge the world when he came. Not yet, at least. That's coming. He came in the world to save it, and what motivated that was God's love for his creation. So you come to verse 17 here in John, chapter 3, and you see that. God so loved the world. That's what that means. He wanted to save it. It was his love which motivated him to save the world from his wrath. So to summarize how we gain this life, this eternal life, this eternity, it's gained by trusting Christ, by committing your life to him. It's not based on how good you are, the works that you can do. This is where Nicodemus, for example, was coming from. It's not based on how much we go to church or whatever sort of legalism we try to put in the way because we think it might be easier to put these sort of mechanisms in the way of our relationship with God. It's not by the things that we cling to in the world. And you don't earn it. It's not by anything that we earn. We work for and earn. It's given to us freely when we trust that God is who he says he is. When we trust in the truths of his word. When we live according to what we stand to inherit. The promises we're given alongside his son. And scripture says if we do that, we have eternal life. And it lasts forever. We're experiencing it now in our relationship with him. And it's never taken away. An act of grace, of faith, a commitment to living in the truth of Christ enables us to inherit this type of nobility. For all those who love him eternally. So I have some questions for you guys before we get into my winnings during the Valentine's Day raffle. And I'll ask him now, and then I'll invite, I don't know who I'm inviting on stage. Brittany, okay. <clears throat> so my questions to help spark discussion this week are this. How does your secured eternity shape your day-to-day? -day? Do you think about that? How does your secured eternity shape your day-to-day? -day? What does that mean for you? What do you do with that? Are there changes you would want to make knowing that your eternal life with God has already started? That you're not preparing yourself so that now you can inherit eternal life after your death? Are there changes that you would make knowing that that life with him has already begun? Are there things that you need to shed to repent of, maybe? Have there been times when you've lost sight of the end goal? We're talking this month about the hope and the encouragement, the motive for how we live, the promises we stand to inherit, the nobility of who we are. Do you lose sight of those things? How and why? And what do you do about that? 
And then I broke Colin's rule, and I think this question might be more along the lines of the first one, but I'm gonna ask it anyways. How do you keep an eternal mindset while still being present in the now? How do you keep an eternal mindset while still being present in the now? All right, Brittany, 